Welcome to the Pemberley Podcast, a podcast where we discuss Jane Austen adaptations, now covering Recipe for Persuasion by Sonali Dev. I'm Yolanda Rodriguez. And I'm Jillian Davis. We are proud partners of the Frolic Podcast Network, a community made up of your favorite voices in all of Romancelandia and beyond. Keep up with us on Twitter and Instagram at the Pemberley, and you can email us at thepemberleypodcast at gmail.com. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Pemberley Podcast. This episode, we're going to dive into chapters two and three of Recipe for Persuasion. But before we get into that, we can talk about a little bit about the stuff that we've been watching. For sure. Do you want to start by telling us about any cool new shows or movies that you've seen? Yeah, I can. Um, So I have been watching this show. Well, I just finished it. I finished the show called The Big Flower Fight, and it's on Netflix. It's basically, imagine like the format of the great British baking show, but flowers. Nice. So, so it's like flower arranging? You would think. <laughs> well, I was just like, as I, I mean, I don't even know where to begin. It's, so I, I would think, but what is it really? <laughs> So they basically, there's teams of two and they come together and they have like 14 hours to create these giant six feet or eight feet sculptures that are amazing and beautiful and wonderful. And the interesting thing um, about the casting is like no one makes these types of things on a regular basis like no one is just like oh i'm just gonna make like an eight foot um lion today you know the contestants are all a mixture of people who are florists and like i'm talking like wedding florists they're used to arranging and making things look beautiful but they may not be used to something of this scale and you also have contestants who are artists who actually have no experience in gardening or anything like this but they are very talented and can work with different mediums so it's a really fun great show i was surprised and maybe a little disappointed that there's no one who like was involved with a rose parade in this at all because i feel like that's like a perfect and natural fit for someone they're used to making giant sculptures out of flowers i've been google imaging the whole time you've been talking and i'm like people are making creatures out of flower like sculptures essentially made out of flowers and even further you're right and like the first thing that came to me is i was like oh just this is like they make things from the rose parade like this is these people um and you've even like volunteered uh for like putting flowers in the rose parade stuff so having helped with that were you watching the show thinking i could do that i've already done that (laughs) i never made the connection between volunteering with the rose parade and this because it's a whole different level it's a completely different scale of work and something i always wonder with shows like that are Are you allowed to have designed this ahead of time or is designing it part of your 14 hours? Unlike the Great British Baking Show, they submit all of their recipes and what they're going to do in advance for like the entire season. So they know exactly what they're going to be making. They can practice like they talk about practicing throughout the week. But in this case, designing is part of the 14 hours. Wow. Obviously, like there's no way you can practice this (laughs) outside of this specific setting. So it's a lot of work on these very very talented people what are you watching jillian 
I'm watching kind of the opposite of that. <laughs> I've been, well, I don't want to act like I'm still watching it because I finished it in a matter of days. Avatar The Last Airbender. So this show came out when I was like a fifth or sixth grader and they just put it on Netflix. I think I just have like this great appreciation for it now. Like I look at it and I'm like, oh my God, like the art and the martial arts and the lessons that they're teaching us. It's a very good show. So for those of you who don't know, Avatar The Last Airbender is about like this sort of alternate world where people have the ability to to manipulate the elements. There's earth bending, fire bending, water bending, air bending. And there's only one person in the world at a time who can control all four at once because other than that, everyone's divided into the kingdoms. That person who can manipulate all the elements is called the Avatar. And we're dropped into this time where the Fire Nation attacked the rest of the world. They're like, it's, oh my gosh, like the Avatar will save us. Little do they know the Avatar is this 12-year-old airbender kid named Aang and he felt so overwhelmed by pressure of being the avatar that he ran away, froze himself in an iceberg with his flying bison Appa and was unfrozen a hundred years later by his brand new friends Katara and Sokka. They're basically on this mission to have Aang master all four elements so that he can defeat the Fire Lord and the world can go back to being a harmonious place. And it's just a fantastic show. They also have Avatar comic books that sort of fill in some gaps. And one of the really big mysteries of the show is Prince Zuko. We don't know what happened to his mother. And so they made a comic book episode about what happened to her. And I was like, very excited for this. And I found at my local library, they have this comic book. So I put it on hold and I, I get up there and they're like, we're very sorry. We accidentally mm. gave your book away. Our bad. And I was like, no. They were very nice. They gave me a different book to read about Avatar Kyoshi. I was so close yet so far. So I have it on hold. Rest assured, hopefully by the next time we talk about this, maybe yeah. I'll have gotten that comic book and I could talk about it some more. But it's a wonderful show. Really good messages. I remember the reason I stopped watching it as a kid is because I felt like it was time to move on from Nickelodeon to Disney Channel. Like that's, <laughs> yeah. I was like, I'm a woman now and women want <laughs> <laughs> you watch Wizards of Waverly Place. Exactly. I'm like, I'm on to bigger and better. Like, then I'm now I'm just like, that was dumb. I can watch whatever I want at any age I want to watch it. I'm I'm 26 and I'm watching this show. <laughs> Perhaps we should dive into Recipe for Persuasion. Yes. Yeah, so chapter one of the book ended with Ashna getting this great proposal from her friend to be a professional chef on a reality show called Cooking with the Stars. And Ashna is like not really entertaining the idea. She wants to say no, but like she's gonna pretend to think about it for the night, which it's past midnight. And chapter two starts out with Ashna 5 a.m. going to the the market, the farmer's market, to get all the fresh ingredients she needs for her restaurant. She got like what, maybe four hours of sleep? This is ridiculous. This woman is overworked. We talked about this. But... We did. But like she wakes up and she loves the morning. She loves it when it's quiet and no one's awake yet. You're there early to also get the best products too and the best produce. So she's there. And even though some of the things she says, like no one takes anyways, she still likes getting there early to, to 
make sure she's getting what she needs. I love the moments where we do get to see Ashna in action. Like, she cares about everybody. She talks to her favorite farmer's teenage son because, like, the his father is, like, undergoing treatments for colon cancer. And there's, like, a lot of gross stuff that they talk about that she's, like, happy to listen to. And he's a nice yeah. kid. And she just cares about everyone. And then we get to learn a little bit more about the wonderful world of Ashna. She and her father came over from India when she was 10, and he built the restaurant and their house behind the restaurant himself. Yeah, because the whole Rajay family come from royalty in India. Trisha, her cousin, Trisha's father, they call um, HRH, so His Royal Highness, because that is his actual title in India, but it really has no significance being in the Bay in California. But they still call him that, just HRH, and so they are of like of royalty and that's just something mandy kind of called out in chapter one where she was like i don't have a trust fund but ashna's like didn't want to explain it but she's like that's not how it works like i don't have like all this money and like it doesn't really mean anything yeah her father was this prince and very spoiled and he lived a very wealthy life but that is not the life that ashna is living let me know if it's something that like they talk about in pride and prejudice and other flavors but if this family is like royalty in india why start over here. I think it was more about like the opportunity for their kids because I think like Ashna did grow up in India. They came over when she was 10. Yeah, but then I think it was about like trying to get more opportunities for their kids. Similarly with a lot of immigrant parents, they come to the States to try to like hope their kids can like build their own life and like build their own legacy here too and so, but I'm also part way through the first book so still have more to learn about more of their background. For sure. The other thing because I feel feel like we learn not only about her family history in this chapter, but we learn a little more about her mother because they mentioned the first chapter that her mother kind of left her and her father when she was very young. And we hear a little bit more about what happened there. So basically, Ashna is just like, she's done with her shopping from the market and her like she washed all the fruits and vegetables and she's like about to go up, take a relaxing bath before she really has to get started on the day. And she gets a call that she really wants to ignore from her mother. So her mother, Shobi, they have a strained relationship because it sounds like her mother basically chose her career that took her away from her family over being around. Now it sounds like it's sort of all paying off for her because she's being awarded a very prestigious award called the Padma Shri. I had never heard of this before, so I looked it up and the Padma Shri is the fourth highest civilian award that you can win in India. And they started it in 1954 and they basically give it to citizens of India in recognition of their distinguished contribution in various spheres of activity like the arts, Education, industry, literature, science, sports, medicine, social services, etc. Like only a handful of people are recognized for that. Ashna says like she hasn't heard from her mom in like six months and she's delivering this great news that she wants to share with her daughter. But at the same time, it's like, cool, like you've built up like this whole career and your whole career is about like encouraging other people. But at the same time, she's like, cool, you're doing all that for the world. Where have you been for me? And 
And this is really where um, you can tell it's not something they get into often. They probably also don't talk that often, so it doesn't come up. But it's kind of getting into it of like Ashna being like, where have you been? You know, that's cool that you're getting honored for this thing. But would have been nice if you had been there. If Shobi is like, you know, I think you've just forgotten how to be happy. Maybe like there's something wrong in your life. I don't know. And Ashna says back to her like, I can't forget something I've never known, basically. And that's just like a major burn toward the mom. Ashna's life has kind of just been filled with a lot of hardship and a lot of trying to figure stuff out on her own. And and sure, she's had Trisha along the way, but she's still blocked people off in a way that she is kind of still doing this on her own. And it's something that like her mom is trying to be like, why can't you just be happy for me? But at the same time, Asha's like, well, why couldn't you have just been there for me? And so it's this uh, misunderstood relationship between the both of them. Like another point on like the bigger picture of this is so what Ashna's mom has done is she was like on the Indian cricket team and then when she like couldn't play cricket anymore she became this really big philanthropist and like basically starting schools all over India. A lot of her mother's brand is about like empowering young women and fighting for your career, like stuff like that. Her mother chose this like big glamorous life over her, but she can't really be mad about it because like her work has done so much good for so many people. And I think there's probably this like pull inside of her that's like, yeah, I'm happy that you're helping to make the world a better place on this really big scale. And like, she's lucky to have this platform where she can advocate for so many people, but it's like she won't even advocate for her own daughter. And also like another big part of like why they keep fighting is about curried dreams is the restaurant is her mom thinks it's something that she needs to let go of or move past or move beyond and it's not something ashna is in any place ready to give up on or let go of she keeps fighting for this restaurant even though she may be in debt even though she's overworked she's not going to give up on the restaurant and that's something like shobi is like why do you keep going back there (laughs) in a way she like wants her daughter to move beyond it and like i guess that's like sort of like quote the empowering part like she tries to tell her daughter she's like move on from the past but it's different for Ashna and I think that's where like the mom has a disconnect with her daughter of like not understanding why she's holding on to it and why she wants to continue to help it succeed. What no one is saying but what I feel like is kind of laid out before us is that she cares so much about this restaurant because she feels closer to her father. Yeah. This restaurant was her father's whole life. It's like, this was the thing he came to this country to do. It's now up to her. And her mom just doesn't see it that way. In fact, like, we're not into it enough yet, but maybe she kind of resents that because she knows her daughter loves her father more than she loves her. It's a big pot of emotions. Because that's something we also find out, I think, in this chapter where it was awesome who actually found her father after he killed himself like she was the one who went up to the office and saw and had to like see that and deal with that trauma that's not something she's over either like that's not something that she's processed at all that again that's not something I'm sure she's talked about with her mom and so that's not something she can understand so really all the mom is saying like she even has a line in here she's like I hope one day like you'll acknowledge that like (laughs) I've done so much work for all these thousands of people but again it's like 
that's her world. She chose to leave Ashna and, and, and their dad and kind of build her own legacy. But yeah. she's kind of lost touch with like her own daughter's life. It feels very Hamilton of her. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's this passage on page 26 describes her mother. If anything dared stand in her path, she leveled it like a champion. She like the champion she was. In other words, she was the polar opposite of her daughter in every way possible. Ashna had been struggling to keep one restaurant afloat for 10 years for the entirety of those years shobi had been waiting for her to fail yikes i mean it's tough because like maybe another idea that's going on here is because shobi doesn't see the restaurant is ashna's way of staying closer to her father and keeping his memory alive she sees this as like a really selfish endeavor because it's just one Mm. restaurant in like a world of restaurants and she's fighting for like young women's rights she's fighting for like empowerment you know and she just doesn't see a rest the restaurant as a symbol of those things she's like this is an anchor that's tying my daughter down it's interesting to hear like ashna kind of think that like she just she thinks her mom's just waiting for her to fail we don't fully know like the mom's deal yet too we don't know what she actually thinks like is she i don't think i would hope that the yeah. mom's not just like <laughs> waiting she's like it's gonna fail one day and i maybe she does think that way she's like you know what that restaurant's gonna fail and then what what's that girl gonna do uh, it's just a tricky relationship that like right now we're just getting into it too so we still have a lot to learn about like what's their history been and and honestly like there's probably not much because they don't talk a lot so it's also one big miscommunication of just like not talking through not talking it out and the fact that like her mom hasn't really made the time to to be there for her but that's actually where this next part comes in shobi has been in india all these years and her mom says like that's also why i'm calling is like why don't you come to india part of this big award is that like i need someone to present it to me or like be there for me and i want it to be you I mean, Ashta just keeps getting handed these really big, lofty decisions. Like, she's just being handed, like, all of these decisions of, like, go on a reality TV show and promote your restaurant, yes or no. Go back to India to help present your estranged mother with, like, the most prestigious award in India, yes or no. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like what's also hurtful to Ashna about this is when her mother says, come back to India, she's basically saying, you have nothing keeping you in Palo Alto. That's rude to her because her father's legacy is what's tying her to Palo Alto. Yeah, and even Ashna's like, Palo Alto and Woodside are my home. Woodside is where she grew up with her aunt and uncle. Shobi sees that as like her daughter being deliberately hurtful. These two people who can't have a great conversation without arguing and really understanding each other because there is just so much hurt and history there that they haven't worked through at all. Thankfully, I mean, even though she's presented with this big decision of like whether or not she goes to India, she's like, actually, mother... I do have another job. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's like the biggest part of where I've yes. spent so, this whole time thinking like, oh man, the relationship is so strained. And like, then there's that bomb. I love watching that transition at the end of chapter one. She's like, I'll pretend to think about it just so that I can say no after a respectful amount of time. And then in that, not even 24 hours, it's been what, like six hours? It's been six or seven hours. Six or seven hours later, she's so fed up with her mom putting down her life choices that she's like, actually, I have an opportunity and I'm taking advantage of it. So there, mom, how do you like that? I have a platform now and I'm gonna, you know, tell the world about my life. And it's something like her mom, like, can't even believe she's like, you, reality TV? Mm. 
mm-hmm. a star? No way. <laughs> yep. She's like a rebellious and, teenager. She's like, yeah, mom, reality TV. Like, it's been my dream for forever. <laughs> I know. And I mean, it's like a big deal. And like, Shobi should be proud of her daughter being like, oh, this like really cool, great opportunity. I mean, that's literally all Shobi wants for her daughter or like has been telling her to do of like, let go of the restaurant, go pursue bigger things. And that's kind of like the last part of their argument is like where Shobi's like, you're being motivated by guilt. That's like the only reason you still have this restaurant that's like on your father for leaving it with you that keyword of like leaving and she's like they don't get into it because she's like i'm done with this conversation bye but her dad didn't just leave you know her mom left her dad like something tragic happened that's like not even an argument in her head i know she doesn't get to take her bath that's another thing that's kind of i know (laughs) there's been like a really intense conversation with her mom with like so much subtext and so much history and all the while she's basically started up this bath added eucalyptus oil to it which smells incredible and then it got cold in the time it took to talk about her mom and she's like pulls the plug and now she has to start the day having made sort of several decisions and had a really emotional couple of hours definitely now she's actually gonna do the reality show that's the biggest that was our biggest question at the end of chapter one is like will she or won't she decide to do the show honestly it's like if this conversation with her mom hadn't happened she would have said no but because it was like there's no way i'm gonna go to india to present this award to my mom she's like i i have something i need to stay in palo alto which is really exciting for us that like she's made that decision. She has no idea who the celebrity will be that she's paired up with yet. No, this is, I think, <laughs> the perfect time to transition to chapter three, where we meet boys. We meet what I assume is going to be our dashing hero, Rico Silva. Yes, and we actually find out later, a little bit later in the chapter, his full name is Federico Webster Silva. So persuasion, Frederick Wentworth. Good. This is our Wentworth. <laughs> I didn't even catch that. That's that's perfect. Thank you, Sonali. That is a fun yeah. Easter egg from the original novel. Yes, Mr. Frederick Wentworth. That's fantastic. I love that yeah. we open with chapter three in a very different setting. We've, we've been yeah. in a restaurant. We've been in a home. We've been at a farmer's market. Now... We are in the most exclusive club in Las Vegas. You have to know people who know people who've killed people to get into this club. (laughs) (laughs) It sounds like Rico is a star soccer player and Mm -hmm. he is the only sober man at this insane party which is a bachelor party for his best friend z in persuasion frederick wentworth when ann elliot first meets him he is just a simple naval officer he's just kind of getting started and he's going off to the war when he comes back he's a captain and he's much more of a big deal here we meet rico and he is like this big soccer star he's like won the world cup he's won the premier league but he had like this major injury injury um knee injury that basically like he can't play anymore so he's he's done with his professional career sadly and only at 30 which is like really when he should be like ramping up and like getting more into the height of his career but it's been cut short because of this major injury it seems like it's also recent because he's like still in crutches he still has a brace so he's still dealing with like whatever happened it's a pretty great scene where the craziness happening around Dell was on top of 
of the bar and about to grab a rope dangling from the ceiling to take a Tarzan-style swing across the room. This is like one of the parts of this beautiful painting of guys losing their minds at a bachelor party. (laughs) Yes, which, yeah, his best friend, Zia, or they call him Z, is the one getting married. To his college sweetheart. He's like the only good one. Yeah, I do like this description because he's like, when it comes to the wedding planning stuff, women get like super involved in all the details and men tended to get hit on the head by the idea of getting to hold on to the woman who made them come apart. Oh! Which I just like (laughs) underlined that line and I was like, Oh my god. This is this is dangerous territory because I like know. I'm in love with both of them at this point in time <laughs> yeah. in my life because we're just like it's I, I feel like I'm kind of looking at like the dating scene in general where everyone is crazy and then there's like two in this case the ratio is down to two yeah. normal nice guys who just want to settle down. And I mean, what's so sweet about Z is like, like he's engaged to his college sweetheart and he's like texting her from the table where he's like, yeah. I don't want to be here with these losers. I don't want to be home yeah, his fiance Tanya, it seems like they're just like so in love and he's just so happy and it's really sweet to see that. There is one little mention of Hamilton in this, oh, in yeah. this chapter too and I was like, ah! <laughs> when this episode goes up in two weeks, Hamilton will be up on Disney Plus, so very excited for that. We hopefully will be able to talk about it then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, c- well, you've seen Hamilton. You've seen it when they came to the Pantages, or no, the Pantages? Pantages, yes, I saw it then and it was great i mean if you listen to the soundtrack it's basically that so i think you'll be very surprised at like how there's really no in between the songs like it just goes song 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 like an but operetta it's, it's still great to see the visuals <laughs> for christmas my dad gave me tickets to see hamilton because they were going to come to the pantages in april and oh no yeah so sadly i could oh, not go because of because COVID. quarantine and covid yes oh no yeah so I'll see it one I'm excited to see it with like the original cast on Disney Plus, but I'll yeah. see it live one day. <laughs> anyway, back on happier notes. Yeah. We, um, cause we also learn about like a little more about Rico because it sounds like he's also like a serial monogamous type. You know, he's, I feel like athletic, like athlete guys are just sort of like can have anyone and do whatever they want. And it sounds like Rico is someone who actually likes women and he really <laughs> wants to settle down. It sounds like he was just in a relationship that ended recently and he like, and she's engaged to someone else. And he's like, are you all right, man? And he's like, yeah, I'm actually okay. Like, I want her to be happy. And it talks out. he's, like, friends with his exes. But it sounds like Tanya is kind of this perfect woman because there's this sentence here, in my old woman's words, not mine, I don't understand what it is you're waiting for. And Hmm. Rico says, I'm waiting for someone like Tanya who keeps the ball and chain tight without letting it chafe. (laughs) I feel like Rico is kind of on this sort of lifelong quest for like his person like his perfect soulmate type he's a soulmate guy and his ex-girlfriend is myra so it seems like the injury happened like a year ago because the surgeries have been happening for like a year he could kind of tell that like they weren't gonna end up being together forever and he didn't want to like make her stick around for all the surgeries to like nurse him to health in any way but they are still very close and it's also like late there i think she's um probably in the uk 
Kay, or I don't know where she is. The wedding's, I think, in London, but they just decided to do the bachelor party in Vegas. Yeah, I mean, that's where the most exclusive club in the whole world is. Yes. <laughs> but um, Rico texts his ex, and she responds fairly quickly. And she, like, Sonali goes into that, because he's like, do I feel weird about texting my ex-girlfriend really late at night when she's engaged to another man? No, if he has a problem with it, it's his problem, not mine. And so he basically wishes her well and says and she's like oh great you're coming to the wedding right and he's like of course and i actually i think she says it's in italy but she's like are yeah. you in the u.s or like aren't you in the u.s isn't it the middle of the night where you are so i don't who knows where in the night it is all over the world but another thing i want to point out something that uh, shows up a couple of times in this chapter rico is acutely aware of how close las vegas is to california he's like i'm pretty close to california I had a lot of bad times there, but only because I had a lot of good times there and those times ended. He almost takes it as a sign. He's like, oh, it's just a coincidence. But what is it? Could it be something more, really? And like, sure, he had this great relationship with Myra and he cared for her, but it's nothing compared to what happened, the relationship he had in California. He says, maybe it was time to finally leave Ashna Rajay behind. And we're like, what? I mean, we knew these two were going to be connected in some way. But like this major soccer star and like this woman in California who's like has a struggling restaurant, you would never think they'd be connected. But they are. <laughs> it's funny because I, I feel like since you and I are like sort of unfamiliar with the story, you know, like those videos in school where we learned about Pangea and then we saw how the world kind of drifted into the continents that it is today. Yeah. I feel like we're kind of watching that in reverse where we're just like <laughs> seeing everything sort of converge slowly but surely. Because I'm, I'm seeing like a couple of things right now and I'm eager to see if I'm right or if I'm just reading too much into stuff but we have our heroine who is like her legacy is to you know continue her father's restaurant and she is now going to be a chef where she is going to be paired with a celebrity we don't know who on some tv show and then we've just met the handsome and very eligible Rico Silva, probably like a million women want him. And he can't play soccer right now. And he's very single, very happy for all of his exes. It sounds like there's only one that he wants back, which is Ashna. Another thing that I just thought about that I don't know if I'm reading too much into, but like Rico is like an athlete. Ashna's mother works in like the philanthropic athletic community. And I'm wondering if that's going to come into play at some point. I'm just wondering. Possibly. I mean, if he's like also a philanthropic type of person, their paths may have crossed or may cross. One of the things Rico also talks about is like, he says the word he's been actually searching and running around has been closure Mm. and I think at first I thought he was talking about Myra but I don't think he's talking about Myra he's talking about Ashna and it's something that like they just have never had closure about dot 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 we don't know what yet like we don't know the history between these two people we're gonna learn more about them like I kind of get the sense that he hasn't really needed or cared about closure with any of his other exes because he's like I expected them to end because they're not Ashna yeah it's it does seem like every subsequent relationship has he has compared to Ashna and almost like this like ideal version of what a relationship should be. I mean, he's also in the midst of like next to his best friend who's in love and kind of surrounded by all these wedding preparations. So that's why he's also thinking about her a lot or like why she's 
popped back into his head because when we read in Ashna's perspective, she's not in his head at all. <laughs> like she's not thinking about him in any way. But he's also in a different circumstance where like he sees his best friend in love and he's so happy for that. And he's thinking about his previous relationships and like where those went wrong. But also thinking about like the first major relationship that like really changed him. He's so close. He's right next to California. Will he just take that short flight over to the bay and yeah. see her? Could even drive if you wanted to. It's a yeah. long drive, but it's very pretty. I know. It's doable. <laughs> yeah. We still have the reality show ahead of us. We don't know how that's going to play out. I'm curious to see actually like what's going to happen first. Is he going to go to California and like go see Ashna or try to contact her? Or are they just going to find out? Because I haven't read ahead. Uh, are they just going to find out they're paired together on the show? Is it going to be like a surprise, you're paired together, oh no, we know each other? Or is it like a, they have an awkward talk first and then they find out they're paired together? I hope it's more of a surprise. And I will say this. Basically what happens in the book is it opens with this family and Elliot's family. And what ends up happening is her family is in a lot of debt. And so mm-hmm. they downsize and they move in with another family to save money and the the wife of that woman like her brother is captain wentworth and so he comes for a visit and then it's like oh you've got this family living with you and look it's my ex-girlfriend so it was a surprise in persuasion hopefully this will happen as well (laughs) we're like not even into the main conflict yet yeah Ooh, it's gonna be great all right so we will be continuing with recipe for persuasion next week read along and stay tuned Thank you.